Welcome, listeners, to the ACEC Kansas podcast, the QBS Express. I'm Executive Director Scott Heidner, and we are recording here at Jay Wilson's Restaurant in beautiful Lawrence, Kansas. And very excited to welcome my guest today. We have the President and CEO of Volkert, Inc., Jerry Stump. He's up from the Nashville, Tennessee area to be with us. Jerry, thanks for making time to join us. Scott, I'm thrilled to be here. It's always good to see you. It's good to have you back in Kansas. It always is. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. So we'll get back uh, later in the podcast, but Jerry and I met through ACEC, uh, being involved with ACEC National, actually, National, and we'll dive into details of that later. But Let's start at the beginning. A lot of our Kansas listeners won't know who you are, obviously, only the ones that have been involved in ACC National. So, Tennessee native, tell us a little bit about what part of the state you grew up in and, and what childhood was like for a, somebody who didn't even yet know they were a budding engineer. <laughs> well, that's a great question. I grew up in uh, East Tennessee, and if you're familiar with the state, there's three very distinct parts of Tennessee East Tennessee is the mountains, the Smoky Mountains, Appalachia, uh, Middle Tennessee, more the rolling hills, and then you've got the flat delta of West Tennessee. So uh, I grew up in the in the east end of the state, a little town called Harriman, um, about 10,000 people when I was growing up, just a, a perfect small town setting, um, and about 30 minutes from Knoxville and Oak Ridge, uh, about 45 minutes from the Smoky Mountains. So plenty of different things to do there and just a a great childhood actually um i know we're going to talk at least i hope we're going to talk a little bit about music here in a little bit (laughs) it's a good Uh, guess just uh (laughs) just wrote and recorded a song about my growing up in my hometown i was just gonna say it sounds like not only a song title but an album title to me if i didn't know better I would say that's an excellent guess. That's uh, For you listeners out there, that's a little foreshadowing. <laughs> and we didn't even script it, which is awesome. Uh, and we are going to get into music a lot later. Um, it's, it seems to be a common theme on the podcast, go mm. figure. But uh, on that note, with your childhood and music, I know your dad was a huge part of the reason you got in. He was involved in music in lots of different ways, if memory serves. Yeah, my dad was uh, in radio when, when I was growing up. And uh, he was on-air personality. He was the uh, engineer for the station, sold advertising, one of the part owners. He basically did everything uh, that there is to do in in the radio business. And so I, uh, not purposely, but had the opportunity to kind of watch and and see what he did. And um, obviously we listened to the radio at that point. Uh, You didn't have as many distractions, so we listened (laughs) to the radio a lot. Um, particularly, you know, getting up in the mornings, getting ready for school, it would always be on uh, when he was on in the mornings. So, um, you know, I grew up listening to uh, to his station, which was primarily country, and um, hence my love of classic country. That's what I grew up with. So. Hallelujah. Um, but, yeah, he, he did that for, for a long time, actually just uh, retired a few years ago and still dabbles in that um, for the station there, doing some recordings and things like that. But... Um, you know, the other side of his music was live music, and uh, he played live music the entire time I was growing up, and again, until just, you know, a few years ago, continued to play live every night. He he played there in Gatlinburg in, in one of the little parks there, and we'd go up when school was out, we'd go up a lot in the summer to watch him, and uh, but they played every night, and um you know, before that, and they, these are things I, I obviously didn't experience, but I found out about later. He um, he played and traveled a little bit with people like Jimmy Martin and Mac Wiseman and people like that back in the in the fifties, and before he decided that uh, he better get a real job. <laughs> uh, but uh, he he continued to have those kinds of relationships, and so it was kind of cool to to run into people like that at festivals and things and they would know him and we'd get a chance to talk a little bit. Yeah, that is awesome. So music's been a part of my life since, you know, we were, you know, before we were kids. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool deal to think you can get up every day and turn on the radio and there's your old man, uh, his voice at least coming through the airwaves. And, uh, so, you know, you said he did everything at the station. That's what our ACC Kansas listeners would call the seller doer model, right? Exactly right. Yeah. I well, wish I'd known then to appreciate it a little bit more. You know, as a kid, <laughs> you hear it, and it's like, oh, that's dad. But, right. um, 
you know, it's 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 great to go back and listen to some of that. You know, even now we've got tapes and things that we go back and listen to occasionally. And yeah, he uh, made it look easier than it was. Absolutely, and um, I got the opportunity to find out how easy it was a few years later. I actually um, started working there when I was in high school. Uh, just to make a little money. I wanted a car, and uh, he said, well, you know, we, we need somebody. And so I I worked there um, weekends and then in the summers and then continued to do it when I went to college and kind of helped pay for some of the schooling by doing that. So yeah. I found out firsthand how easy or not easy it was. Right, no doubt. You know, speaking of radio, you just said, you know, we listened to a lot more radio back then, and, man, ain't it the truth. Uh, today, for our podcast listeners out there, Jerry and I are recording this in late February. It'll probably be significantly later when you all hear it. But spring training, baseball, the actual game started yesterday. I and saw that. Today. I thought of you. Oh, man. I, there's a, a feed you can get the audio, the radio broadcast from spring training. And I had it up on my phone today. And, you know, it's the second game of spring training. Doesn't matter. A bunch of players playing that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, but, I mean, it's therapeutic, just that baseball feel uh, that I think really you kind of had to grow up on it to, to appreciate what that means. I, I think you're right, and I think, you know, back to the radio, that was such a big part of it. I, I remember, of course, I, as I say, I grew up in a small town, but, um, you know, I was a couple hundred yards from a little grocery store, so we could walk down to the grocery store and get a uh, Coke or whatever, you know, and so we did that a lot, or we would just walk around in the evenings, uh, the ball fields were down there. We'd walk down there to play or shoot basketball or whatever. But every porch, it seemed like, had a radio out yeah. on the porch listening to a baseball game. So uh, I missed those days of, of being able to really listen and, and, and hear the games that way. Of course, it's so easy now to watch them. But yeah. uh, there was just something about hearing it on that radio and having to wait for them to tell you yep. and what was going on. And, and, you know, I was listening today through the feed, which is awesome, but even that, you know, it doesn't have that little crackle of AM radio mm-hmm. like it used to. So uh, answer this. Give me the short version of this, and we'll move on, because if I don't stop myself, I'll let us talk about baseball for 20 minutes. Uh, given the neck of the woods that you grew up in, the baseball games that came in, were they Reds, Cardinals, Pirates, Indians? You got a little bit of everything, but there was a huge um, majority were Braves. Uh, that was the easy one to pick up where okay. we grew up. Yeah, uh, not too far from Atlanta. I mean, about three and a half hours. So that that was the one that everybody could pick up. A few people could get Cincinnati or St. Louis, maybe Pittsburgh. You know, maybe you'd hear a Chicago occasionally, but you know, really not. It it was Braves or maybe the Reds were a, a distant second. So you grew up literally listening to Hank Aaron. Oh, absolutely! I was a huge Hank Aaron fan. Wow, that's too cool. Yeah. All right, well, I got to make myself stop, or I'll go on. But maybe we'll weave baseball back into it later. Uh, okay, so great idyllic small town life. Uh, Dad was into music, which uh, carved a lot of the passion. We'll get into later. Tell us how the winding road took you to engineering. How does a, uh, a baseball-loving, small-town Southern guy wind up being a PE? Well, I, I think there were a few things that, that kind of pushed me that direction or nudged me that direction maybe is a better way of putting it. Um, but what, what I will say is that today there are so many other options. When I was growing up and at that point, you know, in, in high school, thinking about what are you going to do, um, th- there weren't all the, the great majors like there are now in, in college, you know, sports management. My gosh, if they'd had that when I was going through <laughs> school, you know, I would have been all over that. But right. um, you, you basically had the sciences or, or you had the arts. And um, I remember a conversation with my dad one time. We were riding in the car and uh, we were talking about that. It was probably my junior year, maybe senior, I don't remember. But um, the topic came up and you know, I told him I didn't know what, what I was going to do, and he basically said, you know, you should at least consider engineering. Um, it, it, I think it suits you, and plus it'll be a good way to make a good living. Um, so separate from that, I had a high school counselor that kind of said the same thing. You know, your your abilities and talents in the sciences and the math and, and those t- the types of things are, are so strong that you should consider that. Um you know, I loved being outdoors growing up in the mountains and that part of the state. So uh, I, I had the, the, I found out false impression that 
engineering was going to let me be outside <laughs> all the time. But, you know, you just put all those things together and it seemed like a good, uh, a good direction to take. And uh, once I got into it, I was not going to get out. That's, that's never been a, uh, something that I've done is get in and out of things or, or quit things. So mm. once I was in, I was in. Yeah. Uh, but I'm certainly glad that, that, you know, people helped me find that direction. Heard your wife Robin say the phrase many times: "If you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound." Absolutely, she's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's cool. Among the many other you know similarities uh, we have in terms of life context and whatever courses, you know, my dad was a PE as well, and mm-hmm. hear a similar story. He also loved being outdoors as a kid, and I think maybe perhaps thought engineering would keep him outdoors a little bit more too yeah well give us the the reasonably brief summary um of your progression uh you did a little dot time and then um two or three private sector pit stops give us the reader's digest version of the career trajectory all right well i won't um tell people when this happened because <laughs> that'll give away my right my age but um, when I graduated from uh, the University of Tennessee with my degree, uh, let's just say it was an extremely poor jobs market. And, um, you know, there were very few offers if you weren't willing to go offshore with some of the big oil companies or something like that. And that's not what I wanted to do. So I remember I had an, op- uh, uh, an offer from the California um, Caltrans, the Department of Transportation there with the state of California. And, um, really had no interest in in going to California Uh, and so I talked to a friend who who suggested uh, the Tennessee Department of Transportation so I made that contact and you know through an interview process or whatever was was offered an opportunity there so I did go to work for the the DOT right out of school Um, spent about four and a half years there and uh, when it was time to get my PE I figured it was time to to move on and do something a little different and so I got an opportunity with uh, HNTB, um, moved to Atlanta, um, learned a lot about aviation and transportation there with them, which was great to get to a lot, do a lot of different things. Um, worked with them for a long time and, and then um, you know, had an opportunity to, um, to go to work for Wilbur Smith, another southern-based firm that um, I knew several of the, the leaders there and the principals. And, I knew that the culture would be a good fit, so I made the, the switch and, and went to Wilbur Smith. Had the opportunity to serve in a, a COO role with both of those companies, kind of a regional with HNTB and then, and then Wilbur Smith's COO. Um, learned a whole lot more about the business through that process. Um, and then had a, an opportunity when, when Wilbur Smith was purchased uh, to kind of reevaluate what do I really want to do. and. Um, Perry Hand with Volkert had been talking to me for a little while about uh, coming to work for them. And so uh, we, we had a few more conversations and they offered me the opportunity to come in as their COO. And so I've been with them a little over six years now. So and that, president, president and CEO. President and CEO now. now and i uh, extremely glad that I, I made that decision a few years ago. That's awesome. And uh, I should have done my homework before we got here, but if memory serves, Volkert, uh, most of our listeners will know the ENR 500, I believe it just slipped inside the top 100. We've been in the, the top 100 for about three years now, but we just, in 18, we moved up to number 87. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see where 19 brings us here in a few more weeks. But it's been a nice little seven, eight, you know, 10 spots at a time kind of progression and and that's been good for us it's not been too fast or or too slow but it's been a nice steady and um, you know there's a lot lot bigger firms than us out there but we're pretty proud of being in that uh, 87 slot and certainly in the top 100. Yeah rightly so and fortunate enough we'll come back to this a little later but fortunate enough to work for a series of firms that all supported your investment in ACEC. Absolutely. Uh, which culminated in, and we'll come back to this in a minute, with you being the chairman of ACEC National, which is a pretty cool deal and a great segue, because that's how we met uh, the, the shortest version of this, so as not to bore our listeners to tears. As the executive director for the Kansas Association, um, the the National Executive Committee has one state exec on at all times. So listeners, I, I did my tour of duty uh, on the National Executive Committee, 
several years ago, and Jerry was on, and that's how I met he and his wife, Robin. Um, and it's just been pretty awesome. Hit off a, a, a friendship right out of the gate, and no surprise, uh, driven probably as much as anything else by shared love of music. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. amazing what uh, some shared um, things like that will do. But, um, you know, I, I've met a lot of great people through ACEC and a lot of friendships that, that we continue to have today and uh, all over the country, which was really a, a great thing because you you do meet people from all over the the United States in that process, but I certainly count our relationship right at the top of that, and I mean that sincerely. It's uh, it's one of those things that you look back and you just think, wow, what a what a tremendous blessing that that happened, you know, and, and the way it happened, and um, you know, we we just continue to to get stronger in that friendship all the time. A true story, well said, and uh, I'm sure there's a little caveat to that every time we call and say hey we're, we're coming to nashville do you mind if we crashed your place again <laughs> uh, we love it when you guys come visit yeah it's it's wonderful and of course we had been in love with nashville for years before we even met you so that was just serendipity uh and can't help but uh, this is you know unique to you and i and i don't know if our listeners will be that interested but uh, you know, you had done a lot of recording already, and I was just starting to do recording down there, and uh, pretty cool. We wound up using our mutual friend, Kevin Key, who we never would have known all those years ago, has produced all of my work and some of yours, and uh, some of the same locations and studio musicians. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. It really is, and, and there's so many great um, musicians and recording people in in Nashville and for us to find the same one that's of course you led him to or led me to him I guess but um, yeah that that's yeah. Uh, and it's great to go down and see Kevin play live and uh, I'm still waiting for us to get our opportunity on stage together yeah or yeah. in the studio one we, the we wear out the fire pit market <laughs> but, uh, we do don't we <laughs> still waiting for that on stage debut yeah I'm sure if we uh, either recorded together or toured together we'd uh, we'd have an audience of at least dozens I'm oh, sure I'm yeah. sure yeah and if not we'd make sure that uh, we we found them <laughs> well uh, we'll shift gears um, tempted to, to talk about our personal music but uh, nobody knows that but us but let's talk a little bit about some of our shared love of music um, greatest musical artist of all time without question of course would be Merle Haggard there you go that's how I knew you were a true American yeah yeah (laughs) I grew up listening to Merle Haggard and he was still going strong when I got to working at the station and uh, of course you can't go um, downtown in Nashville and not hear somebody doing Merle Haggard music or for that matter a lot of the on radio things now are still still people are still covering Merle Haggard songs and so yeah he's thank thank goodness absolutely yeah love his music and and um miss him not being around anymore boy isn't that the truth what would you give to be able to you know have an email pop up that says Merle Haggard you know going to be in concert Mm -hmm. in a theater near you still but well uh again another topic that if I let myself I could probably talk longer than our listeners would be interested so let me wrap up the music piece with this uh favorite or most powerful songs from that golden country music era um saddest favorite most inspirational prettiest whatever from that golden age of country music and you can name one or three or ten i tell you what that is a loaded question (laughs) Um, you know, there's so many great songs, and, and Haggard had so many of those. Another, uh, one of my favorite artists was Vern Gostin, yeah. and Vern Gostin, just, he, he could just rip your heart out with some of his um, sad ballads, and um, yeah, it was when he was at his best. What a lot of people don't know is he started as a bluegrass artist, and that's where I'd first heard him, and he could tear up a bluegrass song, too, but... Um, you know, chiseled in stone, mm. something like that. Just, Mm-mm-mm. just rip your heart out. But, um, and, and of course, Hank Williams. I, I listened to Hank Williams growing up. But I, I, I tell people, you know, I probably could give you a thousand songs that, depending on which day you ask me, that's my favorite song of all time. Yep. So that is such a hard one to answer. But 
I've told people before, if you pin me down, Funny How Time Slips Away is one of my all-time favorites. Written by the great Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson, back when Willie was was, uh, (laughs) the first Willie. Right. Um, (laughs) Back when he didn't look homeless. He wrote so many great songs back then and and recorded them, too. And and then you had people like Patsy Cline and... um, uh, Ray Price and people doing his songs, and but yeah, that that one to me has always been a, a good one too. Yeah. It's so simple and and yet so strong. Yeah, it's a powerful message, sung simply. Uh, yeah, that's all. That's a great choice. Well, let's move on to something uh, much more relevant to engineering. Uh, the other thing that brought us together quickly when we met, and that would be cigars. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, an engineering staple. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, our, for our handful of faithful podcast listeners, we always manage to bring up cigars for at least a little while. But it is amazing, is it not, how pervasive they are in the ACEC culture, particularly among the leadership teams? It really is. If you want to find some of the leaders in our industry and in ACEC, you find them after dinner having a cigar somewhere at a conference. Because there will always be 8 or 10 or 12 of them somewhere. Yep. Uh, having a cigar together and, and talking a little bit of business, but a lot about like we're talking right now, just, you know, common interests. And But it's a great way to get to know um, people. Isn't it the it truth? It really is. Yeah, it's uh, it was one of the, the ways that I was able to spend time with you, meaningful time with you originally and so many others. With ACEC, I can say the same thing. Um, you know, it's easy to say hello and a seminar or whatever and and then you move on and work right. the rest of the room but you know my favorite thing about cigars is you actually sit down and you can have a sustained conversation and uh yeah it's pretty cool so uh favorites uh you know i i tend to be on the the milder end uh, i'm not a uh a manly cigar smoker like you guys are <laughs> um so i i usually I usually ask my um, expert, and um, I, I usually go to go to you and ask you what you would recommend. And uh, of course, now you know you're in the business, so right. I, it's even better. I don't not only ask you what I should get; I know where to get it. I just buy it from you, uh, so it's perfect. Uh, you've always steered me the right direction. But That's awesome. It's hard to beat a Julius Caesar. For oh. Man, isn't it the truth? I had to pick one. It's almost the Merle Haggard of the cigar world, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) One of the the things that opportunities lost are the ones that break your heart just makes me sick. I've, I've, you know, we invited you up here to Kansas in part to do this podcast. uh, But as soon as, you know, the invite was out and accepted, I was looking forward to that cigar Mm -hmm. we were going to have together. And it's colder than a well digger's arse in the Klondike here. It's miserable. We'll just have to have two the next time we're together. Ah, That's a spirit. That's a spirit. Never say die. All right. Well, let's move on uh, to something that is genuinely relevant to all our listeners. Let's talk about um, ACEC and specifically uh, you and your role now as um, president and CEO of Volkert, uh, what's the hardest thing? So you've really filled almost every peg in the org chart through your career, and, and now you're the boss. What's the hardest part about leading now? I mean, you've been in a leadership position for many years, but now you are the leader. What's the change, and what's the hardest part? Yeah, it, it's a big change, and it's much bigger than, than I anticipated, just to be honest with you. I, I've been in leadership roles for a number of years. been extremely fortunate in my career uh, to be an officer and an executive officer you know, for a number of years now with three really good firms. And so from a technical, you know, running the business standpoint, I've got a, a, a tremendous background. And, and so I was really comfortable with that and the operational role, the marketing, all those things. Um, what I didn't uh, have a true um, sense of was the amount of time uh, commitment that that people need from you and want from you. Everybody uh, would like a little bit of your time, and they should have it. Uh, but there's only so much to go around, and uh, so that that has been one of the biggest things I think is just the the personal time that that people want with you. Um, and it's not, hey, we've got an operational issue, let's fix it. That's that's easy now. Uh, but that personal uh, relationship with, with, in our case, 1,100 employees, 
Uh, that, that's been a big change for me. And I think the other one, we're an employee-owned firm. So I think the other big thing for me and, and maybe the biggest challenge or um, biggest surprise, if you want to put it that way, is um, I, I've realized, you know, I have 1,100 families relying on us uh, and, in, in a sense, relying on me uh, to help the firm go the right direction and continue to be successful because we are employee-owned, and that is most of those people's retirement fund. Um, so it's not so much just the day-to-day running of the business anymore. It's, it, it's the personal side and making sure that, uh, that, that you're doing right by all of your employee owners and, and of course, your clients, and, um, and, and just making sure that you take the time to, to reach out and touch the people that need to be touched. It, uh, <clears throat> the old proverb, you know, it's lonely at the top. Uh, There's a lot of truth to that, unfortunately. Is. And, yeah. um, you know, you, you still have your really good friends. And, and even within the company, you have your really good friends. But there's that line. And sometimes you just have to respect that line. And, yeah. There's a reason they put on entire, you know, seminars and education programs about how you evolve from a peer, you know, from someone's friend to someone's boss and, yep, and what it does. Exactly. Um, you know, most of our listeners will not be CEOs. There's only one at each company. Um, a lot of folks in mid-career, with the hindsight or the benefit of the hindsight you have, you know, truly having hit most of the spots on the org chart, what would be some advice you would offer to those people, you know, 28, 30, 34, 36 years old that you wish somebody had shared with you when you were at that stage? Well, I think there's a lot of things I wish I had known then, but, um, you know, time management is, is one thing that you can never be too good at. Uh, and it's also something that most of us get no training or education in. So, you know, if you have an opportunity, even if you do it on your own, that take a time management class or, or something along those lines, some kind of training. But, um, you know, the one thing that, that we try to pass along to universities and colleges whenever they ask about curriculum I would also give that advice to people that are already in the engineering field is you know we don't get any business training we don't get any marketing training or you know how do you approach a client you know at some point you're going to be asked to go out and and ask a client for work uh, or you're going to go ask a client how are we doing what can we do better you know on this project and, and we get no training or no no real uh, education on how to deal with people in that sense. Um, you know, running the business side of things, we, we don't get either. We get a whole lot of technical training, and uh, and that's good. Um, but I think that there needs to be a way to work in some business training and some communication training and some personal skills as well. And so if there's someone that at that, you know, uh, stage of their career where they're ready to make a, a big jump, I think those are things that, that would always do them well is to either hone those skills or ask somebody to help you with those skills. Yeah. Um, We've got <clears throat> one of the things that I hear, you know, I have the, the benefit of being able to interface with leaders of lots of different firms and you're able to, you know, for my role, you can distill the things that you hear over and over again and, and get a pretty good uh, vista of what, the workplace is like and and the skills that are needed time management is always one of them and by the way it's interesting uh my company these things would overlap almost directly onto what we do too for as different as different as it is time management uh effective writing Mm -hmm. my goodness that is very good that is hard to find now uh public speaking that depends obviously a little bit on people's role at the firm but i tell you jerry the one that i would add to that that um, probably is on my radar because of the benefit of a speaker that we use in our leadership program, the art of active listening. Right. We have a guy that's an FBI hostage negotiator. A lot of our listeners that are graduates of our leadership program will know Dan Oblinger that I'm talking about. Uh, The first time I saw his seminar, it was like getting hit in the head with a shovel. (laughs) Uh, Like most people, I think I would have said I was probably at least a slightly above average listener and uh, boy, just instantly humbling. But it's another one that I would put on that list of skills. I think that's a great one. And and I'm always um, surprised, I guess I shouldn't be, but I'm always surprised at what poor speakers a lot of our 
uh, engineers are. And, and I don't mean that in a, in a non-education sense. I just mean they haven't been asked to, to do that. And, you know, a large majority of our engineers are, are a little more introverted to begin with. Um, and, and so they haven't been called upon to, to do a lot of public speaking. Uh, and I think that might help with the listening skills, frankly, uh, when you've had to go out and speak in front of a, a crowd, maybe you'd be a little more attentive in listening to, I don't know, but, but that is a great point. And, you know, you, you miss things if you're not listening. Uh, a client will usually tell you at some point uh, what it is you need to know, whether you need to improve something, whether you're doing something great, whether you've screwed up on some issue, uh, whether there's a big job coming out that you ought to be applying for. A personnel you know, issue. A personnel issue. You know, this person's just not quite cutting it, or, hey, mm-hmm. we love Scott. You know, give us more of Scott. Um, they will tell you a lot of things if you're listening. Uh, and I think sometimes, you know, we, we can get into that mode of selling uh, and we're thinking about what we're getting ready to tell them next while they're answering the last question. Yeah. So we're not listening and, and picking up those clues like we should be. This speaker, Dan Oblinger, that I was talking about earlier, he, you know, it's, he's good at teaching folks how to be, you know, just a better listener on a fundamental individual basis. He also talks about the importance of it, you know, in, in the client relationship. But maybe the most impactful thing is how he talks about it in terms of your corporate culture and how much your ability to listen effectively transmits to your people how much you care and how much it impacts employee retention and employee motivation. It's a, it's a fascinating deal. I think that's a great comment, Scott, and then you, we haven't gotten into, and hopefully we don't get into any more than this one hard lesson, um, <laughs> but you, you remind me of a hard lesson I learned, and, and fortunately it was early in my career because I had been thrust into that management role fairly early, uh, but I was not a good listener. And my employees picked up on that. And, and I had to learn that, you know, whatever it is that they're concerned about today, even though it's not my project, which is what I want them focused on, that's what's important to them today. And if we don't address that and get past that, then, you know, what I'm worried about today isn't going to happen regardless. So, yeah. you know, for a lot of reasons, it's something that I needed to do. And uh, not that I didn't care. I was just so focused on the work that I didn't pick up on those clues that, that this is bothering them to the point that they can't do their work today. Yeah. And so listening and, and picking up on that and then being able to help deal with it, I think that's one of those hard lessons that, that uh, fortunately I learned early and, and has paid off then in uh, future roles of, of understanding uh, what's really important to people. Just a, a personal observation, and then I want to move on to a couple other questions I've got for you about the engineering industry. Um, I do believe, so my firm represents multiple professions. You know, we're an association management and lobbying company, so we work with engineers, but we also work with attorneys and all sorts of um, health professionals and stuff like that. So we get exposure to the, the culture of these different groups. And I will say, while everybody or or almost everybody i think all of us are in need of skills to be a better listener i will say culturally i think engineers are better than most Uh, you mentioned earlier that it tends to be a little more introverted discipline and that can be not ideal uh, when you need somebody to communicate effectively orally public presentation etc but in some ways that cuts both ways i do think um just my personal observation, engineers are maybe preset to be better listeners than some. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on. I made a note. I saw my weekly update Friday from the Good Ale Group. I don't know if you're on their distribution list. Amongst other things, they track the mergers and acquisitions in the industry. And uh, I knew you were coming, flying in today, so I made a, a note to ask you about this. It seems to me... That after the recession, of course, there was a, a massive amount of M&A activity as some firms struggled. Uh, seems like maybe it's slowed down a little bit now. Uh, that's just my own perception. Uh, what is your take on the future? And, you know, certainly you're a big enough company to always be on the lookout for something to acquire. Uh, but as you mentioned earlier, there's plenty of folks bigger than you. I'm sure yep. you could uh, target, too. What, what do you think the future 
of M&A is? Is we're going to see more of it, less of it? Is it going to evolve? Yeah, I, I think that's something that we're all trying to to get our our thoughts around. I do see the Goodell um, emails, and I always uh, am interested to read, you know, where activities taking place and what kinds of firms. But you know, I, I think to answer your question, I, I do think it it has slowed down a little bit. Although I don't think it slowed down as much as people thought it was going to. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people are kind of taking that look right now of, of when is the next slowdown coming, frankly. Um, you know, there have been a fair amount of predictions that it would be 2019. Um, about a year ago, people started backing off of that and said, no, 19 looks pretty good. It might be 20. And now you hear, well, maybe it's 21. You know, I, I don't know where it is. I think we've all been in this long enough to know there is a slowdown coming at some point. But I don't think the M&A is going to slow down until that happens, frankly. Uh, There are too many, uh, first of all, there's too many needs in this country for infrastructure and things that engineers do uh, for us not to keep growing and and getting better and and bigger at what we do. Uh, And frankly, there's a lot of people that started companies that are now reaching that retirement age and, and they're looking for you know what how do i exit this uh not all of them have owners that are willing to bind them out or whatever and so i think that fuels a lot of the m&a as well um you know we're, we're fortunate we're a private company we don't have any public demands that we grow at a certain rate or anything that forces us to do m&as um we've been lucky that uh, we've been able to grow organically uh, at a very good clip the last six eight years um, and so we haven't had to go out and do that to, to even grow uh, as much as we wanted to internally. What we do see are strategic areas from time to time where an acquisition would, would help us, um, whether that's to get into a geography where we're trying to go that, that maybe we're not, um, don't have the right fit to go do it with a cold start. Somebody, you know, put them there and let them plant the flag and grow it. Or maybe it's a new service line that, that we want to, uh, strengthen or, or get into and so we've done a couple of acquisitions over the last few years but they've been really small and very strategic and for us that works well and that's what I would see us to continue to do uh, we're, we're not looking for a you know a large acquisition just to, to get bigger yeah uh, we're getting bigger as it is and and so uh, that that's how we approach it it's not to say that's right or wrong it just works for us but I think there's going to continue to be a lot of activity on the M&A side until there's an economic slowdown. It, uh, just a, another personal anecdote, and then want to ask you or move on to the uh, most important topic of the day, which would be ACEC itself. But with the mergers and acquisitions, another thing that I hear from so many of our members that have been through it, particularly the ones that have done the, the purchasing, is the difficulty emerging the culture? You know, you find a firm with the right technical skills, and maybe you've even got some work history. Uh, this isn't a, a question, Jerry. It's just a, an anecdote. But Good. one of our <laughs> <laughs> one of our early leadership programs, we always do what we call the Senior Leaders Roundtable, and we'll bring uh, three industry folks, very senior in the industry, in, and they just share their stories and, and take questions from the folks. It's a fascinating session i just always look forward to it and years and years ago i won't mention the name of the the gentleman of the firm but he was the president of the firm and somebody asked him about m a and he just shook his head and talked about how hard the culture was they had some firm in another state that they had partnered with successfully many times very small firm very boutique niche firm and I think if memory serves same thing the owners didn't have anybody to buy and so they reached out to this firm and they ended up doing a deal, and, and if memory serves, he said, you know, he realized he hadn't actually physically gone to their office, and he thought once the deal was done, he probably ought to, and said he pulled up, and, and I think I've got these facts mostly right, like there was, the lawn was all dead, and there was jungle gym equipment outside, and he thought he was in the wrong place, and he walked in, and nobody there to greet him, and there was a dog curled up in the corner of the nice. lobby, and uh, finally, some guy like walked walked out and cut off some flip flops and said something like, "Hey, dude, you know." <laughs> and that was the firm he just bought. And this is what right. I just bought. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's move on and talk a little bit. Obviously, this is the ACC Kansas podcast, the QBS Express. Um, you have 
you know, the organizations that we all join on a voluntary basis, as so often is true, to an extent they provide value whether you're active or not, but you get out what you put in. And you have put in literally almost as much as a human being could into ACEC as an organization. Um, you were president of ACEC Tennessee. I was on the board. On the board. Yeah. And you were a pack chair for ACEC Tennessee. Still am for, for many years. You still I are. very strongly about that. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's awesome. You're doing the Lord's work there, too. <laughs> and then uh, went on to get involved in ACC National. What were some of the um, committee or coalition involvements you had before you got on XCOM there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I've been with three firms that have been extremely supportive of, of my involvement with ACEC. And, and actually, if you go back to HNTB, that's where it started. Uh, I, I was extremely fortunate to have a mentor there who's no longer with that company. He's retired now. But he came to me and, and knew um, how I was moving through that organization, through HNTB. And he kind of knew where the, the future was and where I was headed. And he said, you really ought to be a part of, of ACEC. And I had been, you know, on the periphery, I guess, of, of the state organizations and kind of helping there, but not in a big role. And this was back when the committees were closed at ACEC. You had to be invited to join. And he said, you need to be on the transportation committee. And I said, well, I would love to serve. And, and so he um, uh, made that recommendation, if you will, and uh, the powers that be decided that I would be a good addition to that committee, and that's really how I got started. Was on the trans uh, the transportation committee. Um, you know, as as things would have it, uh, there was a need uh, within a year or so for a new chairman of that committee, and uh, the board had seen what I had done and felt like I had been a good good member and would help move that committee the way it needed to go. And so I got the opportunity to chair that committee then, and that's really when things took off. Um, from there, you know, got involved on the PAC and, and the PAC chairman and served on that committee. Um, one of the things that has been really good for me was I've served and, and had the opportunity to chair, um, you know, numerous ACEC committees, government advocacy or be on the planning cabinet or uh, the PAC committee or the transportation committee, the joint committee with AASHTO or, you know, there's just so many that I, I was able to get involved with. And so I got a really broad understanding of what the organization was doing and uh, kind of what was important and, and the, the strategic direction they wanted to go. So that's really how it started. Uh, I was just a mentor saying, hey, you should get involved. So, you know, as we're talking to our member firms here, uh, that that's one thing I would tell them is if you've got young uh, don't have to be young, but if you have upcoming managers and leaders in your organization, get them involved in ACEC. If it has to be at the state level to start, that's great. If they can be involved at the national level, that's great too, but, but get them involved. All they need is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so I got that. Um, you know, from there, you know, I, I got to, um, to know a lot of the, the leaders in the organization. I was encouraged to run for XCOM. Uh, which was one of the best things I ever did. And I uh, was fortunate to get selected to, to serve there as one of the vice chairman, and uh, that, that was a great two years for me. And I want to interrupt just long enough for our listeners. XCOM, which we talked about a couple of times, I just realized I'm not sure I ever did a good job. That's the executive committee. That's, you know, there's the, the board of directors at the national levels made up of all the states. XCOM are the nine, ten elected folks that run the organization nationally. Right. There, there's, um, I think it's nine vice chairmen. Um, and, and then there's a, a chairman, obviously, every year as well. But, but those are all the volunteers of the organization. They're, they're people like you and me that, that either uh, work for our member firms or, or consult with them or, or lead them at the executive director level like you do. And so the, those are the people that serve on that executive committee, and they are charged with the day-to-day -day running and strategy of ACEC. So that opportunity for me to be a part of that group of, uh, I guess when you count the president and the chairman and a couple others, it, it's you know 11 or 12 people. Um, it was tremendous in terms of, of getting to really understand the organization and what it really meant to our member firms and, uh, and how you could make that even stronger. So that, that was a great, great two years for me. And 
Um, that's a term limited thing. So when the two years are up, you know, I moved on and continued to serve on committees and, and planning cabinet and things like that. And, you know, a year or two later, I decided that that being the chairman was something I was interested in and had some encouragement to, to go pursue that. And I decided I was ready and um, was extremely fortunate to be selected to serve in that role. So uh, another two years of really leading the organization at that point. Yeah. And it really is, uh, you have to experience it to know, but it really is a family, you know, once you've gone through it. It is. You know, we talked about our friendship and that that's one example of what's come out of that. But. Um, you know, you're really working side by side on some, some very weighty and strategic issues. And, and so you do develop those bonds and, and friendships and, you know, people that, that I served with my first term on the executive committee, we still uh, visit with and, and, and go visit, you know, with good friends in California and Wyoming and Montana and, you know, just different places all over the country that, yeah. that we still go visit with. Uh, so they are good um, friendships and, and that family feel that comes out of that. Um, I started to say this earlier, but this is probably a good good point to, to say it as well. But, you know, you mentioned um, kind of being lonely at the top when you reach those levels in your organization. But uh, one of the things for ACEC that, that probably has meant as much or, uh, as anything to me is, is the relationships. So you get to know leaders of your competitor firms you get to 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 develop friendships with them you know yeah we're all competing and and we get that but uh, you you develop those friendships and it just helps you not only on the business side when you have an opportunity and you need some help or you want to team with somebody or you know but but it helps me now to be able to call somebody and say hey I'm, i'm dealing with this you know have you been through this how did you deal with this and we're close enough that we can have that relationship and not feel like we're betraying a trust or giving our competitor something that they can use against me. It's not that feeling at all. It's, it's a, yeah, I'm happy to help you. I've been through this. Here's what we did. Yeah. And it's amazing how willing uh, I say we because I, I count myself in that same situation, but how willing we all are to help each other. Yeah. Uh, and that comes out of that relationship and friendship that that you develop you really see there um maybe a parting comment here because we need to uh, wind this down probably but um you really see with acec that it is the industry is not a zero-sum game even Mm. though our member firms do compete against each other all the time man when they pool their resources the things that they can accomplish on the government affairs spectrum and and everywhere else and the benefit of those relationships and something we preach hard to our leadership program here in kansas the same thing applies in national um it's a business development opportunity also you know we tell our leadership program graduates that you know if you if you approach this program like we've structured it for you to do and you will follow up you know, from a networking standpoint uh, on the things that we provide the opportunities for, you absolutely ought to be uh, a part of a team going after business that you would not otherwise have had the opportunity to do. And I think ACC does. In addition to the training and the advocacy and the partnering and the, you know, the personal relationship benefits, it is a straight up business development yeah absolutely absolutely it is scott you're you're just so right about that and you know again i I would just encourage those that are listening to this either as a leader of your company or at whatever level in your company you are find a way to get involved because it will help people at every level of that company yeah Uh, and the company will see the return benefit of that Uh, There's absolutely no question about that. And my last final plug, no matter what you're doing in the engineering industry, uh, man, oh, man, ACEC has a home for you. We've got uh, focus groups or coalitions or practice divisions for big firms, for small firms, for transportation, for vertical, for surveying, for structurals. I mean, you know, there's just no end to it. So no matter what you're doing, there is a very specific benefit package there well let's wind it down with uh this jerry we always do what we call lightning questions random topics uh rorschach test kind of thing um but before we do i want to say again how much i appreciate you taking time to do this for our listeners uh you know jerry 
flew all the way to Kansas, not just for this. It's possible we might be going to the KUK State game tomorrow night, too. But Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Never been to Fog Island. I, that's been on my bucket list for I don't know how long. Yeah. I am so excited about yeah, that. It is a bucket list deal. And, uh uh, boy, we, you know, if we weren't recording this, though, Scott, we'd be doing the same thing over a beer or a cigar. So true story, true story. Yeah, well, it's been it's been wonderful to have you here, and uh, you making time to do this is just awesome. We've been looking forward to it for a very long time. Uh, we will wind up. I'll ask you three questions. First thing that comes to your mind. Um, this sounds very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not setting you up on any yeah, of these. Right. These are all these are all safe. Um, most important political issues to our industry over the next two to five years? You can name one, two, three, whatever comes to mind. Well, I would certainly put sustainable funding at the top of that list. Um, it's no secret that, that our needs in this country far outweigh our uh, ability to, to pay for them at this point. And so whatever that mechanism is, we've got to have sustainable funding. Um, the other thing I would say is, is um, you know, um, how we do this, I'm not sure, but, but somehow we've got to be more forward-thinking. Uh, we're very reactionary in our um, infrastructure right now, and, and we're, we're letting problems become a problem and then saying, okay, now what do we do? And, and so some foresight, if we can somehow uh, put that into our government affairs group and, uh, you know, help identify those leaders in Congress or wherever they are, uh, that are a little more forward-thinking and visionary, uh, then we need to support them, frankly. But but I, I think it certainly comes back to funding. Um, it, until we solve that, all the other issues are secondary, I think. Yeah, and, you know, your forward-thinking comment, I'll, I'll throw in one of my own. Again, as an observer of the industry, um, I think you hear it all the time. There's a great fear, rightfully so, that we're being commoditized a little bit as mm-hmm. – I was talking to one of my board members just the other day, and he was saying, you know, we used to make money off of surveying. It was never the cash cow, but it was profitable. And now that we've got a drone and we can't charge time, he said it's just a a loss leader. And that, you know, extrapolates over and over and over again. And I think from a public policy perspective, there is a role to be played there. you know, we're getting more and more into alternative delivery systems, which I think provides a world of opportunity in a lot of ways. But we have to find a way to protect the qualifications-based selection process in that. Yeah. Um, and your comment about being forward-thinking, in my mind, that's how we avoid that commoditization trap, I think. Yeah, commoditization is a big one, and, and ACEC is working on that. They're, the Several levels within the organization are trying to to come up with ways to address that. I know one thing that's been done recently (coughs) is um, we've had some of the DOT secretaries come in and and talk to groups about how they've done lump sum or whatever. Um, You know, another thing we're trying to do as a company is is identify those services that are being commoditized more than others and okay if that's the case then where do we really bring value now and let's let's shift and focus a little more on that but but that is a big one and and one more i'll throw out there and and that is litigation and that does come back to government affairs we've got to somehow um, work with with governmental leaders um, so that our companies aren't continually being sued or threatened with suit over things that are not our fault. Uh, and it happens on, on, you know, it seems like every project now. Somebody gets disgruntled or thinks something this or that, and, and so they throw a lawsuit out there, and the next thing you know, you're spending a bunch of money either defending, defining, clarifying, uh, or in your worst case, negotiating out of something that, that really has nothing to do with your service on that project. And that's another big one that's got to be addressed. And how many times do you walk away from a project that had the potential to be profitable and that you would have been perfect for because the liability exposure is just too big? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and we're walking more and more time. from those projects now. Yeah. Uh, we talked earlier, next question is this, we talked earlier about skills that the engineering industry might need to grow in. But let me ask you this. Traits, personality traits, almost, um, I suppose they are learned, but uh, some of it might be innate. But 
uh, most important traits in a good leader, particularly in the engineering industry, although it may be universal? Yeah. Um, I think genuineness is one that I would throw out there, and it doesn't sound like one that, that would be the first one to come up, but you know, so much of what we do as a leader, if people don't believe you and buy into what you're saying and think you're committed to it and, and aren't willing to get behind you on it, then it's hard to push an agenda or, or a strategy if, if you can't get that kind of buy-in. So I think they have to understand and, and feel that you are genuine that you do care about them like we were talking about earlier that you care about the company that you're trying to lead it that the proper direction uh, so i think that's one you know i, I am a um, for good or bad a, a pretty straightforward person i think that's a good trait some people may not take it that way but if something's on my mind or if you ask me a question i'm going to give you an answer and i've told our people that i love to travel around and meet with all of our officers, and I do that as just as often as I can. And and it's usually, you know, it's not the leaders of the company that I'm talking to. It's it's the people that are getting the work done usually. Um, but I love to tell them, look, yeah, this is your conversation. You ask me anything you want to ask. If I can't answer it for some reason, I'll tell you that. Otherwise, I'm going to give you an answer. And sometimes they like the answer, sometimes <laughs> they don't. But you know, I think that's a good trait. Let just to be honest. Yeah. Um, you need to know this, and, and there's no benefit to either one of us uh, of hiding it or beating around the bush. So I think honesty and, and straightforwardness is another good one. Um, you know, I like to think I work as hard as anybody that I'm asking to, to work hard for the company. So I think work ethic uh, is another good one. Um, there's so many traits that, that go into that. Yeah. It's just, um, and, and we're so ill-prepared to to do that. You know, you learn as many of them as you can, and then you work on the ones you're not real good at. But I do think a lot of it comes back to just being genuine and, you know, I am who I am and I've been at this for 35, 38, whatever it is, number of years and I'm not going to change a lot at this point. So, you know, this is who I am. Just be who you are uh, and be genuine about it. Yeah, I think it's a good answer and uh, what a great mirror image opposite to the old uh it's a joke but it's a only a tongue-in-cheek joke uh, about the most important thing in politics you started off with being genuine uh as a serious answer and of course the old political joke is most important thing is sincerity once you learn how to fake that the rest is easy yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> well here's your last question and i bet a lot of our listeners will think oh my gosh what an odd and what a morose way to end the podcast uh, but I know for you it won't be. For people that are into music um, and and the emotive power of music and the spirituality of music, honestly, uh, what song will be played at your funeral? Well, that, that's a good one. And believe it or not, and I know you believe it because we talk enough, but uh, I have actually thought about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And there's so many that, that um, yeah, I, I want there, and it's going to be a... It's going to be a great service, Scott. <laughs> well, it's all, I can, great all service. I can say is I hope I miss it because we uh, yeah. we, we overdosed on the same yeah. bourbon at the same yeah. time. There's going to be a lot of good music and a lot of good food. And, you know, I, there, there's a song, and most of the people listening won't, won't be familiar with this, but, but the name of it is Who Will Sing For Me. And, and I've thought about that many times, you know, and... Um, in, in when you do music like we do, occasionally you get the opportunity to sing for someone. Sometimes it's a happy occasion, sometimes it's not. Yeah. But this song is all about, you know, all the people that I've sung for as they were passing on, and, and now it's me, and, and who's going to sing for me? And yeah. I, I, th I think something like that, you know, I don't want to get too, get people too sad, but no, you know, I right. just think it's very poignant, and um, we'll follow that up with something lively to get them back in, in a happy mood. <laughs> Well, actually, that was my last question, so I'm going to have to come up with something more, more uh, up tempo here. I guess I think that's a, a great answer, and it, uh, you know, the end of life stuff is is kind of morose, but music to me never is. And you know, I, I just had the opportunity, and you know this, to to do another recording, and and I've gotten my my daughters involved in these over the last few years, and. I wish I had the talent that they do, but regardless, we just did a version of Rock of Ages, which is um, 
it may be one of my favorite things that I've done over the last two or three recordings, and that might be another good one to have at that service. Yeah, anything with your daughters on it with you would be cool. Well, they, there's a good, you just mentioned your recording. There's more up-tempo thing to finish with. Um, Kevin Key is coming up here to Kansas in uh, three, three and a half weeks, and we'll do the pre-production for my next album when you just released two just a few months ago. Are you already plotting scheming and writing for the next one you know i'm always writing yeah and you know i've talked about that You're, you you get an idea or something pops into your head and you jot something down and sometimes you you start jotting and you write the whole song sometimes you write a little bit and come back to it but i'm always writing um i think you know for for me the the musicians that i've ended up using on the last few um their schedule typically is really good in the winter months to to do that sort of thing so you know, maybe next winter we'll we'll get another one down, but yeah. um, we'll keep looking for an opportunity to do one together there you too. Go. Uh, that, that's another one of those bucket list ideas. Amen. And there's a happy <laughs> thing to end the podcast on. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, listeners out there, this is Jerry Stump, my guest today, the CEO and president of Volkert Inc. Uh, out of the Nashville area, comes all the way to Kansas to join us on the QBS Express. Jerry, thanks a million for making time to do it. Thank you, Scott. It's been my absolute pleasure and honor to be here. It's been a blast. Listeners, thanks for joining in. We will catch you on the next edition of the QBS Express.